Hear from the word of the Lord, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Brothers and sisters, chosen by God, he has revealed himself, and it is fitting that we would remember what he has done and we would respond in loud songs of praise. We'll look at Psalm 95 today, which is another call to worship. So we have a new song to help us sing Psalm 95 and to praise the Lord. And praise the Lord, the band is back. I'm not alone. So we long for that day when we'll all be together. But for now, me and my masked musicians will assist you in singing praise to our God and King. Let's sing together. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Lift your voice, shout for joy. Enter his presence with thanks. Let salvation song be raised. For he is great, our King of kings. From depths to height, his praises ring. Worship and bow down, kneel before our Maker. Come and exalt His name now, and sing to our Redeemer. He is our God, and we are His. Come, let us sing of His grace. Our good Shepherd took our place. Laid down his life for the sheep. Hear his voice come and believe. For he is great, our King of kings. From depths to heights, his praises ring. Come, let us worship and bow down. Kneel before our Maker. Great high priest welcomes us. Let tender hearts hold fast and confess the name of Jesus. For he is great, our King of kings. From death to heights, his praises ring. Come, let us worship and bow down. Kneel before our Maker. Worship and bow down, kneel before our Maker. Come and exalt His name now, and sing to our Redeemer. He is our God, and we are His. 
Come, let us sing to the Lord. Well, welcome to this online service of Desert Springs Church. My name is Ryan Kelly. I'm the preaching pastor here, and we're so glad you're with us. Uh, if this is the first time you've tuned into one of these services, we want to say a special word of welcome to you, and we want to offer you more than just this single service. We'd encourage you to tune back in next week. Uh, let us know that you have uh, visited with us in this format. Uh, you can email us at info at dscabq.com. Feel free to ask us a question about our church or maybe a question about something you hear today. Or perhaps share with us a prayer request. We'd be glad to pray for you. Well, in these days of COVID-19, we are, once again, providentially hindered from gathering as we normally would. And by the way, that will be the case for a little while longer. You may have heard uh, that houses of worship can now meet at 25% capacity, but still in place is that six-foot rule of distance between households, and that one actually proves more limiting to us than the 25% capacity. However, the lifting of that previous restriction of just five people in the room, as Drew said, means that there is a band here today. I joked before that they should temporarily be called the bandits while they wear these masks and play for us. Well, as we've said before, whatever the circumstances that we'll find ourselves in in weeks or months ahead, we'll continue to trust God, we'll continue to love our neighbors as best we can. We'll try to be safe as possible. And we'll do what we can for worship and encouragement. We'll continue to use technology to worship the, the never-changing God, the ever-faithful, never-failing God. We, we want to together, well, together of sorts, we want to rehearse truth over songs. We want to pray together. We want to hear from God's word and we want to encourage each other as we're able to throughout the week. And also partner with each other as the Lord provides opportunity. And so we want to thank you again for another successful week of bringing food to the Navajo Nation. From our parking lot out here this last Tuesday, we sent four trucks, one cargo van, and a whole trailer, all of that loaded with food from you. And one of the pastors serving on the res told us that he brought food to a family that hadn't eaten in two days. So this is meeting a real need, and you have met real needs, and we thank you for it. Um, this coming Tuesday will be our last food collection for the foreseeable future, and that's actually a good thing. The Navajo Nation will be taking over the food distribution and putting to use those millions of dollars of federal aid that has now finally reached them. And so what was needed there for a time was a stopgap. And praise God, he used Desert Springs Church to step in for a time. And so this Tuesday, coming up uh, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., that will be our last food collection for the foreseeable future. Uh, but don't stop, don't let up before then. Uh, let's finish strong and let's bless them one last time for the foreseeable future with food and goods as you have done so well so far. Well, let me read from Titus chapter 3 as our confession of sin and also our confession of the gospel. And then I'll pray for our service. 
Titus 3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, this is our confession that we are great sinners in great trouble apart from your mercy. But your mercy has appeared in Jesus, our Savior, who died in our place to redeem us, to show us mercy, to forgive us. We couldn't have earned it, Lord, as Titus taught us so well. It was your doing. It was your mercy. And you poured it out on us so richly in Jesus, our Savior. So now, Lord, as justified sinners, under your grace, we desire, Lord, to give you the praise that is your due. You are great and greatly to be praised, and your praise will be forever. And so we join heaven's angels and saints this morning in giving praise to our immortal God, in giving praise to him who sits on the throne, our Savior and King. We pray in his name and commit this service to you. Amen. Give to our God immortal praise, mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Give to the Lord. Give to the Lord of Lords renown. The King of Kings with glory crown. His mercies ever shall endure. When lords and kings are known no more Wonders of grace to him belong Repeat his mercies in your song His mercies ever shall endure When death and sin shall reign no more When death and sin shall reign Mercies ever shall endure when death and sin shall reign no more. 
From guilt and darkness and the grave, wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Repeat his mercies in your song. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. His mercies ever shall endure. When death and sin shall reign no more. When death and sin shall reign no
Please pray with me again. Yes, Lord, you are indeed our good shepherd, our great shepherd. You lead us, you feed us, you protect us, you are with us, you care for us. Lord, we're thankful for the many word pictures that your word gives us about you and about your care for us. We think of Psalm 46, where you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we don't have any reason to fear. Even if the mountains were thrown into the sea, even if the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble. Lord, your word says that there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And you are in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. You will help her when the morning dawns. So even though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, oh Lord, you just utter your voice, and it's settled. And so, Lord, we... We follow the words of Psalm 46, being still right now and knowing that you are God, that you will be exalted among the nations, that you, the Lord of hosts, are with us. The God of Jacob, our fortress. Lord, we pray especially in a time when many of us feel shaken or frustrated or this world feels more chaotic than usual. Or we're thinking of one family particular this week, one of our own who has passed from this world. And we pray for the Seaman family, Lord. And we pray you would be all of Psalm 46 for them. We pray, Lord, for your refuge and your strength, your nearness. Lord, though the waters all around them seem to be teeming and troubling, Lord, we know you are with us and you are our fortress. So, Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray we would turn to it often. We pray your consolations would cheer our hearts. Not just today, but, Lord, may we Make a habit of it. When we feel restless, may we go to your word and find consolation and may our hearts be cheered. May it be so because as we began this prayer and as we were just singing before it, Lord, you are our shepherd. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. Just continue in prayer through song. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures, feed us. For our use, thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us. Jesus, blessed Jesus. 
got your Bible, please open that up to Psalm 95. We're going to be in Psalm 95 this morning, continuing in our series through Psalms 90 to 100. And uh, we're going to have the, screen, the words up on the screen down here, but I think it would be really so much better if you could grab a Bible, if you've got a Bible, and open it up and follow along with us in that time. If you're not familiar with how to use a Bible, the Psalms are really easy to find. They're right there in the middle. So we are in the 95th song, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this psalm, and then we're going to work through it verse by verse, and then hear what God has to say to us from it this morning. So this is Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, you have so much to say to us from this psalm. For us today who hear your voice. So God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. And not to just hear it, but to obey it. To obey what you have to say to us today from Psalm 95. God, I pray that everything that I say would be right. I I pray that everything that we think would be right and that you would be glorified in our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, it's fitting, isn't it, that uh, on the day that we jump into Psalm 95 about singing joyfully, we've got our bands together, and, and what a joyful noise it was. It was so sweet. I hope that you were blessed by that. But you know, if I'm, I'm being honest, as I was preparing this sermon this week, there was a number of times where I struggled to put together a sermon about singing joyfully when, when things just feel so heavy right now. They're heavy for me. I know that they're heavy for so many of you for so many reasons. Things are heavy in the life of our church. Things are heavy in our country, in our world. And there's just so much, there's so much going on that's that's lamentable, isn't there? That it, it really feels like we should be turning to a lament psalm. And, and you know what? That would be fine. That would be right to turn to lament psalms. It would be appropriate for us to lament ourselves when things are going hard. But, but there's a, an amazing thing that happens when we, as a church, commit to a series. When we commit to working through uh, a passage of the Bible, maybe a book of the Bible, together week after week, is that, that we and trust ourselves to God's providence. And we say that God knows better what word we need to hear in a given week than we do. And so God in his wisdom has said, this week of all weeks we are going to meditate on singing joyfully. And I think we'll see as we go into this psalm that there's really not a better response when things are hard than to, to worship God with, with joy and with gladness. So that's what we'll see from Psalm 95. This psalm breaks down into two parts Uh, pretty evenly. So verses 1 through the beginning of verse 7, we will see are a call to worship. And then the remainder of that psalm, beginning in the last part of verse 7, going through verse 11, is this really abrupt, abrupt shift. I don't know if you picked up on that, but there's a shift to a prophetic warning. So we have in the first part a call to worship, and in the back part a prophetic warning. Worship and warning. And, and the way this is put together, it's just fascinating. So let's go to this first section, a call to worship, beginning in verse 1. And really to break the structure of this psalm down a little further, this section breaks down into two smaller sections that are, are really two separate calls to worship. So I don't know if you see this, in verse 1 we, we see, O come, and then again in verse 6 it's the same thing, O come. So there's two calls to worship, and then both of those calls to worship are followed up with a reason to worship. You see the word for 
in verse 3, and then again in verse 7. So the first section of this psalm is call to worship reason. Call to worship reason. In this first call to worship, verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And I'm afraid for many of us as we read this, we'll, we'll have a hard time picturing in our minds what exactly this is trying to get across. The Christian Standard Bible translates make a joyful noise as shout joyfully or shout triumphantly. What it's trying to bring across in that translation is the noisiness of this, the loudness of it. So it's almost excessive the way that the words are used here. And, and if you've ever been to a college football game, it reminds me more of that. If you've been to the game and you're sitting in the stands and everybody's together, there's an energy and then your team scores and the band strikes up and, and what happens Everyone starts singing loudly, and they don't really care how it sounds. They're just happy to be singing. They kind of laid back all of their reservations, and they just go for it, and it's a joyful noise. It's loud. It's triumphant, and I think that is the kind of singing that the psalmist is inviting us to in Psalm 95, this just raucous, noisy kind of worship and he calls us to that as a means of meditating on what it is about God that is worth being so joyful about what is worth worshiping for so he's already in these first two verses given us some implicit reasons that we should worship like that that we should be overcome with with joy to the point of just shouting about it in verse one he has called God the rock of our salvation God is our savior, and his salvation is is like a refuge, a fortress that we can go and hide in. This is a big rock, and it is permanent. It is secure. It's not going anywhere, and so we worship God as the rock of our salvation. In verse 2, he says, let us come into God's presence with thanksgiving. We come with an expression of gratitude and acknowledgement of looking around and seeing all of the good things that God has given us. So these are implicit reasons that are leading to this worship. But then in verse 3, as I said, we get the explicit reason, beginning with that word, for or because. Verse 3, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord because he is a great God and a great king above all gods. There's our enthronement theme again. You remember, as we said, these psalms, 90 to 100, especially 93 to 100, are psalms about God's kingship, about God's reign. And here it is again. He is a great king over all the gods. And then he goes into this incredible expression of what that reign looks like in verse 4. In God's hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it in his hands, formed the dry land. Notice there that that this is possessive. They are his heights. He has made the depths. He has made the dry land and the sea. He owns these things. And the way this is phrased with these two extremes on either side means that he owns everything in between too. And that includes you and me. 
This is expressing God as the absolute sovereign over creation. But I think really this is making an even bigger point than just that God is sovereign over the material creation, over the things that he made with his own hands, which he did. But I think what the psalmist is saying when he uses these words is that God is as sovereign over the spiritual creation as he is over the material creation. God is sovereign, what he's saying, over all of the gods that those aspects of creation represented or personified in the culture of Israel's neighbors. See again, verse three, it says he's the great king above what? All the gods. These places that are described here, the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain, the sea, these are places where the other cultures around the nation of Israel believed gods to have dwelled. And so what this is saying is that those gods that these, these neighbors of Israel worship, well, they're, they're not really gods at all because our God, the true God, he, he owns those things and he made those things. If there is any God worth worshiping, it's only our God. In fact, in Psalm 96, we'll see that the psalmist will just call those other gods worthless idols, that they're not even worth thinking about. Our God alone is sovereign. And this is an important point as we think about worship. I don't know who, who your neighbors are, but my neighbors, thankfully, are not offering animal sacrifices to a Canaanite storm god that lives on top of the mountains, okay? This is not the context that I am in, but... When I turn on the TV, I see my neighbors worshiping everything that that god, Baal, represented in that ancient culture. I see people all around me worshiping power and sex and money, and I am tempted in the same way to worship those same things and the same demonic spiritual forces that acted behind those ancient gods. Well, they're acting still today, calling all of us to put our trust and our worship in false gods. And so what this psalm is doing is it's challenging us and it's asking, what are you really worshiping? What is it that gets you joyful in your heart? What do you want to shout about? What consumes your affections? Is it, is it influence? Is it relationships? Financial security? On and on. These are false gods. And so I ask you, are they really a rock to you? Are they really a rock of salvation? Are they dependable? Are they sturdy? Can you really hide in those things? We know that you can't. They're worthless idols. But the God that made those things, he's worth worshiping him alone, even worshiping joyfully and noisily. In verse 6 then, we get another call to worship. Again, it says, oh, come. But this is actually a different word than the word that we saw in verse one. So the word in verse one is kind of like, come on, let's, let's go. And this word here in verse six where it says, oh come, is actually more like the word come in or enter. Some scholars think that this psalm was actually used as a processional hymn. And so it would begin with saying, let's go to Jerusalem to worship our God. And they would make their way into the city. And as they did that, there would be joy, there would be noise, there would be lots of shouting, there was excitement. But then when they got to the temple, they would enter in. And that time was no less joyful, but it was marked by something 
more. Look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship. And that word worship in Hebrew literally means to like fall down on your face. Okay, so come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So do you see what's going on here? The repetition of three different words that all have to do with the physical movement of our bodies. And every one of them is downward. So we have joy in the Lord, but then we come into his presence. And what is the right response? Humility. Worship is having a right estimation of God, of who God is, and acknowledging in our hearts, ascribing to God the glory that is due his name. But, but worship also comes out of a right estimation of ourselves and recognizing that we're sinners before a holy God, and we are entirely in need of his grace. And so we come and we humble ourselves before this God, and then we worship him in verse 7 as a God who has redeemed us. Verse seven says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. The end of verse six said that God is our maker and again, I think that refers to this idea of God making as the creator. He has made us physically, every man and every woman. And if God has made us, then he owns us and he gets to tell us where we stand before him. That is all right. But I think this word maker also refers to God making a people. You see in verse seven, this language of our God and we being his people. That language, if you're familiar with the whole Bible, is covenantal language. That is the kind of language that God used for the first time in the book of Exodus. Do you remember the book of Exodus, this, this story of what happened? This is uh, something that we as a church studied not too long ago, and it is the story of God making his people Israel as he redeemed them out of their slavery in Egypt. That's where Israel was. They were slaves in this land under an evil king, Pharaoh, who set himself up as a false god. And he demanded their worship and their service, and Israel could not escape. They were in bondage. And so what do they do in the book of Exodus? They cry out to God, save us. And God hears and God sends a deliverer to them, Moses. And through Moses, God works these powerful signs as he's the master over creation. And, and with those signs, he brings Israel out. This, the, the most important of all of those signs, of those plagues, was the plague of death. And the provision of the Passover sacrifice for his people. That they could offer a lamb and, and that death would pass them over and so they come out of Israel and they come to the Red Sea and they're being pursued by this army of the Egyptians and then at the Red Sea God works a, a miracle he splits the sea in half he lets his people come through the water and then he closes the water back in on top of Pharaoh's army and he brings Israel out into their freedom and he says today I have made you my people and I am your God. 
And that's what this psalm is celebrating. They come in and they worship this covenantal, redeeming God who has freed them, who has made them his people. And what else does it say? The pasture, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So not only has God brought them out into their freedom, but he cares for them. He is their shepherd. He leads for them. And that same hand that holds the depths of the earth is the hand that guides them and provides for them and cares for them. And so they worship. They enter in, they fall down, and they worship this redeeming God. And so I ask how much more for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. When we went through the book of Exodus, this is what we saw again and again. Do you remember that, that their story in the Exodus, that's really our story. That we, all of us, were slaves to false gods. And at some point we realized our need, we realized the situation that we were in, and we just cried out to God for salvation, and, and God saved us. Through his deliverer, Jesus, who came and worked powerful signs and then offered himself as the Passover lamb, so that death would, would fall on him and, and not on us. And then our deliverer was raised from the dead in power, and being raised, he crushed all of our enemies, and then even we symbolize all of that by passing through water and coming out into freedom. And then we worship Jesus as the good shepherd who cares for us and continues to lead us. And so all of this should all the more be reason for us to come in and, and to worship God as our redeemer. This is the greatest reason to worship God, that we have received freedom and more we have received eternal life in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. And, and so, again, I mean, we get so excited about a football game. We get so excited when our team scores a touchdown, but how much more should we get excited about the victory of King Jesus over all of our enemies? And we should worship joyfully. And bow down. And so as you read this psalm, you'll see it's, it's addressed to believers. It is addressed to people that are in this covenant community that have been redeemed. But we can extend this psalm as, a, as an invitation, as a call to any of you. I ask, have you believed this? Have you been rescued by Jesus Christ? Are you still serving false gods? Are you still enslaved are you looking for a rock of salvation Jesus is that rock and you can right now join us we say come on let's go worship this God you can join us and worship this God all you have to do is humble yourself all you have to do is bow down and say I don't have anything to offer I am a sinner and I am in need but but God is a redeemer and he will redeem you if you will just believe in him. And then you can have the joy that we have. You can experience your own exodus. And as great as, great as all of that is, I mean, we could just stop right here. And you know, a lot of people do when they study this psalm. They just, they just stop right there because uh, that's a really high note, isn't it? But we've only just started scratching the surface of this exodus theme that the psalmist is starting to develop. There's a lot more that's going on here. Because if you remember still the story of the exodus, God brought his people out of slavery, he brought them into their freedom, but it wasn't just to bring them out that was the plan, it was to bring them in to a new land, 
into a promised land that God had promised to their forefathers, a land that was going to be marked by rest. When they were in slavery, they never got to rest. They were only working all the time and not even getting to enjoy the fruit of their labors. But God was going to bring them into a land that was a land of rest. But in the story, there's an intervening period. There's a period when they've been brought out before they enter in. And that was a period where they were being led by God in the wilderness. And as we've already said, as we've been studying this, this series of psalms, that these psalms repeatedly bring up references to that period, that period of the wilderness wandering. And this psalm is no different. Here, it turns to an extended meditation on that time of the wilderness. And, and it is an abrupt, almost unexpected shift, but, but it's very powerful if we understand what is going on in this psalm. So that's where we'll move into the second section of this psalm, a prophetic warning. And I use that word prophetic intentionally because you notice if you're paying attention in this psalm that the speaker actually changes around verse 8. So up to this point it has been a psalmist. Uh, We don't know who it was. The book of Hebrews says that it was David. And that that psalmist has been inviting the people into worship. And then at the end of verse 7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice. And then you could almost start verse 8 with an open quotation mark. The rest of this psalm is that voice. Whose voice? God's voice. Beginning in verse 8, no longer is it the psalmist talking. It is God talking to his people. And what does God say to this audience of worshiping Israelites. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Now what is that about? Well, if you're familiar with the Exodus story, Meribah and Massa are part of that story. It's a reference to an event that happened in Exodus 17. So if you can remember the story, in Exodus 14 is the Red Sea crossing. In Exodus 15, everybody sings a song. They worship God for his salvation. Exodus 16, what happens is they start being led by God into that promised land. They're in the wilderness and, and they run out of food. And they freak out. They absolutely lose their minds. They start grumbling and complaining. And they say, say to Moses, Moses, it would have been better if we had never left Egypt. Why would you bring us out here to die? At least in Egypt we had food to eat. And I don't want to minimize the plight of their situation. Okay, Not having food in the wilderness, that is a big deal. Imagine this is a, a giant nation, lots of families, and they don't have anything to eat. That is, that is scary for them. I get it. That's, that's very serious. They're worrying about their own livelihood. They're worrying about their kids. What are their kids going to do? And so we can understand why they get scared. And what does God do in that situation in Exodus 16? They're scared. They, they cry out to God and and he feeds them he feeds them miraculously he gives them bread from heaven to eat and they're like man this is great 
we got food now, we're covered. And so then they start marching again in Exodus 17. They're walking through the wilderness still, eating that bread every day. And then they come to a place called Rephidim. And there, they have no water. And what do they do? They freak out again. They do exactly the same thing. They start grumbling and complaining against Moses. They say exactly the same thing. Why'd you bring us out here to kill us? We should go back to Egypt. And by this point, you say, okay, wait, I get it. I mean, this is serious. Not having water in the desert, that's, that's bad. But, but shouldn't you know by now? Shouldn't you know that, that God can help you? And God does help them. Again, in Exodus 17, he's so, he's so gracious. He has, he has Moses strike a rock with his staff, and then out of this rock comes a, a fountain of water, enough water to water the whole nation. And, and I think verse 1 of this psalm, when it calls God a rock of salvation, I think it's, it's subtly hinting at that moment that God did save his people with this water from the rock. But, but at this point, in Exodus 17 a darker theme is emerging. Moses names that place where the water comes out of the rock Meribah, which in Hebrew means quarreling. Because there they quarreled with God. The people argued with God. And Moses also names that place Masa, which in Hebrew means testing or trial, because there they tested God. They put God to the test. And this would become typical of their whole experience in the wilderness. And this is what God brings up in Psalm 95. He says, don't harden your hearts like they did. See what he says at the end of verse 9. They put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And that's, that's the issue. Okay? Yeah, they were going through something really Difficult, but they of all people should have known that God could care for them, that God could provide for them, that God could save them. They had seen the plagues, they had seen the Red Sea, they had eaten the manna, yet when it came to another difficulty in their lives, they just forgot all of that. They had hard hearts. They weren't quick to remember what God had done, and they and they stopped worshiping. They just started grumbling. They tested God. They said, I don't, I don't know if this God is really good. I don't know if he's really powerful. Let's wait and see because you know what? Because if he's not, I'm just going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to go back to those old gods. Maybe they can help me. That's what verse 10 of the psalm says. They went astray in their hearts. They didn't know God's ways. Remember verse 7 had called them the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, well, these sheep wandered. And as I said, that formed a, a pattern of hardness. It didn't just stop there at Meribah. God says in verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation. And that's, that's hard language. He was disgusted with them is what that means because they just wouldn't stop doing this. They just kept on doing this. In Exodus 19, God makes a covenant with them at Sinai. That's where he says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And it's this amazing moment. And then they go off and they make a golden calf and worship that instead. 
In the book of Numbers, the people start marching from Sinai to the promised land to take possession of it. And then Numbers 11, they start complaining because they don't like the manna anymore. This miraculous bread from heaven that God was giving them. Well, then they start quarreling because they're like, we want meat. Discontent. Wicked. It just goes on and on like this until you get to Numbers 14. And that people gets right up to the edge of the promised land, to the land of rest that God was going to give them. And they send spies out. Do you remember this? And, and they scout out the land. And then, and then the report comes back that the people in that land were really big. They had big, scary armies. And they doubt God. They freak out yet again. They say, what are we going to do? They're bigger than we are. We can't fight them. We're never going to make it. God brought us out here to kill us by them. Let's go back to Egypt. And that's what they start to do. They start, they start getting a leader to take them back to Egypt so that they can go back into slavery and serve those false gods because, because they had hard hearts. And, and, and Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, they're the only ones that, that remember God. And they, they say to the, to the people, they say, what are you doing? Don't you remember what he did to the Egyptians? Don't you remember what he did? We can fight these guys. We can take them on because it's not us who fights. It's God who fights. And we've already, we've already seen it. We know. But they hardened their hearts. They forgot God's works. They, they went astray. And so God disciplined them. This is what happens in the book of Numbers. And God reminds them of this in Psalm 95, verse 11. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So instead of bringing that generation into the promised land, God didn't let them go back to Egypt. It was a grace to them, but he did make them wander. And that's what they did for 40 years, they just wandered around in the wilderness and God was disgusted with them the whole time and, and then they died. That generation died and then God came to their children and he said, let's try this again. And with that generation, he, he did bring them in. He did let them conquer those enemies and he did give them rest. But with that first generation, it was only wrath. This is a weird psalm, right? It starts with joyful noise and a call to worship, and then it takes this abrupt turn to this meditation on that generation, and then it just concludes with wrath and a reminder that that whole generation died. What do we do with that? This is really powerful if we'll let it be. It helps first to think about when this psalm was put in this place in the book of Psalms. As we've said, this was likely put together when Israel was in the Babylonian exile. Again, they were enslaved to another nation. And if you're familiar with that story, God had promised Israel that they wouldn't stay enslaved Forever, that they wouldn't be in exile forever. It was only going to be seven, 70 years. Then he would bring them out and he would help them build a temple again. And so they are singing this psalm, reminding themselves, encouraging them that, that we will go and sing joyfully 
to enter into the temple again to worship our God. And so they're preparing themselves to go and worship. But what is God saying to that generation? Hey, you're about to have your own Exodus experience. I'm going to bring you out mightily out of this nation where you have been enslaved. I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. Don't be like your fathers. Don't doubt me. Don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. Don't forget my works. And that's the message to us. The New Testament has a book called Hebrews. And in that book, specifically in chapters 3 and 4, the author of that book uses this very psalm as, as a meditation to make a very... A very similar point. And, and we don't have time to unpack everything that are in those chapters. I would encourage you to read those for yourselves. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. It's fascinating to see how the author uses this psalm. But it, in chapter 3 of that book, the author quotes this section of this psalm. Verses 7 to 11. And then he gives us a warning. Us who are in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Remember the psalm, today if you hear his voice, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 18, he says, to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So they, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, us, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. In chapter 411, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If you're listening to my voice right now, today, this is the same message for you that the psalmist was making, that, that the writer of the book of Hebrews was making. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then hear this word and be cautioned. If you are a Christian, then you have experienced your own exodus. As we said, we have been redeemed by God and there is yet a day coming for us when we enter into rest. The promised land was only a, a picture of, of the hope that we have when we enter into eternal Sabbath with our God based on the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf on the cross. There is a rest that is coming for us, but we're not there yet. We are in the wilderness right now. And while you are in the wilderness, you will go through difficulty. You will go through challenging scary situations and I don't know maybe you're going through that right now but what God is saying to us in this psalm and through Hebrews is that when we are going through those hardships while we are wandering in the wilderness yet to enter into that rest when hard things happen there are only two responses that we can have you can either harden your heart or you can worship and only one of those leads to rest 
That's this whole sermon in a sentence. When you are in hardship, you can either harden your heart or you can worship. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do today? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to be like they were at Meribah? Are you going to forget all of the things that God has done? All of the things that he's written down for us in this book? We know about the Red Sea. We know about the manna. Are we going to forget that? Are you going to forget the things that God has done for you in your own life? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to forget? You're going to forget most of all the greatest work that he has done in redeeming you in Jesus Christ. In giving you the hope of eternal life, of eternal rest. Are you going to just start doubting God's goodness? You're going to start doubting God's plans and get angry at him? Start accusing him? Start quarreling with him? Start, start complaining against him? Are you going to go astray in your heart? Because this is what we will be tempted to do, just like they were tempted to do, to go back to Egypt, to go back to those old gods that you used to be enslaved to, those old sin patterns that you left long ago and they suddenly start seeming enticing to you again. Or maybe you'll just start looking for new gods, new experiences, new, new sin habits to fall into, leading you to fall away from the living God. And then what? You won't enter his rest. I think there's, there's two meanings to that. Because the, the, the rest that Christ has won for us is a rest that we experience right now. Christ's work's already done. We are already in a period of resting. And if you go chasing after these other gods, these other things to try and comfort you and satisfy you and rescue you, you will only be restless. They're not going to do it for you. You're just going to be like those people that bounce around from one thing to from one relationship to the next, from one weird obsessive hobby to the next, from one career goal to the next and you're always going to get that next thing and it's never going to do it for you. You're going to be restless because what does Hebrews say? That's the deceitfulness of sin. They promise you rest, but they can't offer it because they're not gods. They're not a rock of salvation for you. And so if you fall away from the living God, you're not going to find rest. You won't enter rest in this life and much more in the life to come. This is a scary, scary caution to us. The writer of the book of Hebrews equates not entering into that rest with eternal judgment. Eternal Unrest, agony, suffering in hell. Psalm 95, 11, God swears in his wrath. You will not enter his rest. So in the face of hardships, like I said, we can harden our hearts, but the whole point of this psalm is don't do that. Don't harden your hearts. Be on guard against that temptation to do that. And I think this, this warning is even the means by which God keeps his redeemed people from doing that. And so you say, well, then what do I do? I, I'm tempted to harden my heart. I'm tempted to fall away. What, how, how do I respond? Verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 95. Isn't this brilliant, the way that this is put together? What is the guard against hardening our heart? Worship. Don't harden your heart. Sing joyfully to the Lord. 
Because that's it. When you're in a difficult situation, and, and, and I know how hard it is to do this, but those are the moments most of all when we need to cultivate within us a, a right attitude, a right estimation of God, and even joy in the Lord. And that's what this psalm helps us to do. So if you're in that situation or you come to that situation, just work yourself back through this psalm. Verse 1, sing. Sing loudly. That's what this psalm is saying, right? Come on, let's sing so we don't harden our hearts. Let's sing joyfully and noisily. And there is something, isn't there, about just this act of singing out loud, singing these truths that, that just lines our hearts up rightly with God. Even when we're not feeling it, this is a, a means of grace that God has given to us to enter in, to sing loudly, and, and, and it, it works as we meditate on these words and as we, as we experience the emotion of this music that God uses that to, to change our hearts, to make our hearts right. And so it's right to just say, sing, sing loudly, and, and even sing together. That's, if you go through the psalm, notice that it's all plural. Let us sing, let us sing, and and it doesn't feel right for me to be exhorting you to corporate worship when we're under a lockdown. But that's what this is saying. And, and so all the more, if you've got family with you in the same house, sing loudly. Sing together. It will, it will stir up worship in you. And just all the more, it should make us long for, for the time where we can come back together and worship like that again. But there's more that we can do. Verse 2 Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Give thanks. Take time to even make a list of all of the things that God has done for you and is doing for you right now. And that sounds like a trivial exercise, but I promise you it's not. If that generation in the wilderness had just taken time to thank God for things, they would have realized, wow, God's, God's really done a lot for us. Maybe we shouldn't be so worried in this situation. Verses 3, 4 and five, think about how God is the great God above all gods. Take time to think about what would really happen if you let yourself go astray after these other gods, these other idols, if you tried to satisfy yourself with sinful desires and passions. Think about it, how they are not God at all, that they are not rocks of salvation. And in fact, if you let yourself enter into worship of those things, it's only going to bring hurt to you, to your loved ones. Remind yourself that God alone is God, and they are worthless idols that you're thinking about chasing. And verses 6 and 7, probably the most important of all, think about how God has redeemed you, that he cares for you. And humble yourself. Take a right attitude before the Lord. Bow down. Think about your own unholiness and God's perfect holiness. Your own neediness and God's mercy. And that you did. You did. If you have, if you have indeed put your faith in Jesus, that you did cry out to the Lord and he saved you. And he can save you to the uttermost. That he has made you his his sheep, a sheep of his flock, and he is your good shepherd, and he does care for you. His hand is over you, and so you can cry out to him and trust him that he will not abandon you. He will not let you go. 
Remember what Christ has done for you on your behalf so that you can have rest in this life and in the life to come. And it will be rest. The promise of the gospel, as I said, is that we will enter into a better promised land. And in that land, there will not be trials. There will not be difficulties. There will not be hunger. There will not be thirst. There won't be sickness, disease. There there won't be death. That's the rest that awaits us at the end of our wandering if we will continue to worship God. I love what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 says. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Isn't that a great phrase? Strive to enter rest. Work hard so that you can enter into that state of not having to work at all. But it's right. There's a sense of urgency in that. There's a sense of activity in that. As we do our best to work out our own salvation, knowing that it is God who is at work in us to hold us fast. And I love, too, that Hebrews is, is likewise corporate. Let us exhort one another, encourage one another, guard one another from falling into this same kind of disbelief as long as it is called today. So church, I encourage you today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but worship God. And strive to enter that rest, knowing that it is the good shepherd who is leading us all that way. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would, you would help us to worship, that you would reveal yourself to us anew in a way that just causes us to explode in joy. God, that we would not harden our hearts, that we would not be so concerned by the worries of this world that we just forget all of the things that you have done, the things that you have done for us most of all in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if there's anyone that, that hasn't put their trust in Jesus, that hasn't had their own exodus away from sin and into the freedom that your son has won for us, Lord, I pray that you would hear their cries and that you would deliver them. And God, for all of us that have put our trust in that hope. Would you please keep us and help us to keep one another worshiping until we enter into that rest, the rest of your son. In his name we pray, amen. Let us respond and offer up our hearts in praise. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never cease Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious song Sung by flaming 
mountains above, praise the mountain fixed upon Mount of end our time of singing as we began. Let us let loose our voice and sing loud songs of praise as we sing again. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Lift your voice, shout for joy. Enter his presence with thanks. Let salvation song be raised, for he is great. Our King of kings, from depths to heights, His praises ring. Come, let us worship and bow down.
grace Our good shepherd took our place Laid down his life for his sheep Hear his voice and believe For he is great Our King of kings From depths to heights His praises ring Come let us worship His rest. Our great high priest welcomes us. Let tender hearts hold fast and confess the name of Jesus. For he is great, our King of kings, from death to height. His praises sing. Come, let us worship and bow down. make a joyful noise to that God, to that God that has made us and redeemed us through his son, Jesus Christ. Come and worship this God if you haven't. If you're still worshiping false gods that are no gods, join us and know this joy that we have even in the midst of difficulty. If you have questions about what that means or how you do that, if you have concerns, if you have doubts, don't harden your heart. Don't shut out that voice that's calling you to worship, but, but open yourself up. Say, I want to enter in, but I, I don't know how. We would love to help you know how. You can email us, info at dscabq. Dot com. I'll even say, you can email me, chase at dscabq.com. I would love to talk with you about that. Any of us would be so happy to. And, and those of you who have, please keep worshiping. Keep singing. I love the thought that you are singing in your homes, even if I can't hear you. Give, keep giving thanks. Keep striving to enter that rest. And until then, I leave you with this. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.